This is the Ambiguous Podcast Solution, the podcast for podcasters. Stories told by everyday people as well as longtime professionals. Join a member of the APS team as they discuss the crazy world of podcasting. The only catch? We only speak to fellow podcasters. We will bring you the origin stories, the greatest hits, learning experiences, and the future goals of podcasts of all shapes and sizes. If you're listening to this, hopefully it will inspire you to start your own podcast, or it will inspire you to keep going and give you ideas on how to make your podcast better. If you have a podcast and want to be a guest on the show, please reach out to us at info at APSpodcast.com for more details. Welcome Welcome to the Ambiguous Podcast Solution. Now let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. The Ambiguous Podcast Solution. I am, of course, the returning host. Uh, returning champion, if you will, Will Tarashuk. It's Tees and Thomas, A-R-A-S-H-U-K, the founder of Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. Don't touch a dial. We got the coast of your ultimate life, the Kellen Flukinger. Right? Flukinger. How are you saying? Flukiger. Flukiger. I put it, I put an N in there for no reason. But Kellen, I'm going to say with Kellen. Kellen, coming through the decades of depression, addictions, life-threatening illness, and a near-death experience, he has become the ultimate catalyst to help motivate people, melt barriers, move mountains, and mobilize superpowers to achieve their true desires. Sounds like the next Marvel movie. As a coach and keynote speaker, Kellen's masterful approach helps people get past old stories, change beliefs, and create a life context to reach even goals that seemed impossible. Kellen, Welcome to the show, man. I'm very excited to talk to you. I do talk to a lot of life coaches, but you are just a different flavor and very different. So I'm very excited. How are you, sir? Coming from Canada, north of the border. Let's go. Yeah, up in the frozen north. I'm stoked. Glad to have you. And that was a fun introduction. So I'm all yours. Yeah, man. I never know how the intros are going to go until like I actually do them. Same with the outro, which you'll see in about 60 minutes from now. Um but, you know, I take I take the actual intros, you know, stuff from your website, which is why I like to get as much info on you as possible. So, okay, how can I introduce you? Oh, how is he going to introduce himself? Perfect. But your last name, where is it? Where is it? Where is that originated from? Because it doesn't sound Canadian. No, Flukiger is actually Swiss, the German part of Switzerland, and it used to have the umlaut over the U's and was pronounced Flukiger. you know, like that. But now the umlaut was dropped, I don't know how long ago, and Flukiger. mm-hmm. <laughs> All right, so how did you get to Canada? Like, so just in your general, who you are, what you do, where you're from, et cetera, et cetera. And then in that story from the beginning, tell me how you got to Canada. Okay, cool. So I got to Canada because I was hired as a hired gun to come up here and solve some electricity market problems in 2003. I was born in San Francisco, raised in the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm a West Coast guy. I've been up and down the West Coast, including Canada, all my life. I hate the humidity, so I won't take up dwelling east of the Rockies very far, except Edmonton is actually slightly east of the Rockies. So I, that's how I ended up here. I came up here as part of my consulting career, uh, which ended in 2007, but I came up here in 2003 and worked as the assistant deputy minister for electricity uh, to clean up their market mess for a few years. Okay, so how did you become to be a, a, a certified master coach? Now, what does that mean? What is a master coach? What do you, are you a master of coaching? Do you coach masters? What is a master coach? Well, you know, the schools that you go to create their own designations. Right. I have a CPC certified professional coach, certified master coach. And I think they do it to sound impressive. 
quite honestly, none of my clients ever at any time have ever asked anything about where I went to coaching school or my coaching credentials. So it's something you have that doesn't matter unless it matters to somebody, but what really matters is can you connect with people and help them do the things they want to do? That's what they're looking for. Hmm. So where exactly did you get certified? Like talk to me about that process. I, I like, I like that you said it doesn't matter. Cause that seems incredibly honest that I don't think my life coaches actually admit that it really doesn't matter. But I am curious as to the whole process, you know, how long it takes, like who exact, who certifies you? It's not the state, like who exactly no. certifies you? So how, how are they certified to certify you? They're not. Uh, the International Coaching Federation is as close to the get, gets as a sort of recognized body, but they have no authority in any state or country. They are a self-appointed, self-regulating body, and there are a number of others who aren't quite as big as the ICF. Uh, most coaching schools will uh, have curriculum that they run by the ICF to, to meet that because they want to say their material is approved by the ICF, but nobody has any authority. Nobody, uh, yeah, anyone, you, anyone can go out and hang out a shingle and call themselves a life coach, dating right. coach, relationship coach, your mama, whatever they want. So what you do to get certification is you go, you look around, just what I did after my departure from, which we'll probably get to, but after I left 30 years of the, the career that I had, I asked myself, what do I know how to do? And the answer was, I know how to help people do things they don't believe they can do. Cause that was what I'd been hired as a high powered consultant to do. And I said, Hmm, what is that? I think that's coaching. Let's do that. So I did some internet research and found uh, several different coaching school certification programs and talked to some of them and found somebody that made sense to me that I liked and they had a mix of in-person and online stuff. So I enrolled in the program and that was the CPC certified professional coach that took a year. And then after that, they offered a more advanced certified master coach kind of thing, which was additional training and some supervised coaching practice and stuff. So it would, it's about like you'd expect it to be. Right. They train you with some stuff and then they supervise you doing some coaching and they, then they, take a wand and ding, stamp you in the forehead approved. So, so does it come a lot to like, I guess, personal philosophy? So when you, when you're going through this process, it's not like there's someone else out there who teaches exactly what you do. Cause it's not necessarily a curriculum. It's kind of like a guidance to find your own way to then teach others. So is that, am I right or wrong there? Well, you're, you're partly right. Coaching I'll, I'll take is partly right. <laughs> you're 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 80% right. Here's the interesting thing. The International Coaching Federation and some others, they have a sort of a very strict idea that coaching is never telling a client what they need to do. Right. And they they take that to the extreme of not even suggesting I find as having been a very, very well-paid consultant that there's a, there's a boundary. When you get hired as a consultant, you're supposed to know the answer. You better come in and you better, they pay you a boatload of cash and you better fix this problem. Right. As a coach, it's just like an athletic coach or a drama coach or a singing coach. You're not going to do their push-ups. You can't fix the problem. Right. And, but it is not very helpful to just keep asking them insightful questions until they finally get to 
you know, the answer, your experience is valuable in terms of suggesting options and helping them see, you know, opportunities in their own reasoning. When they say something that sounds like, you know, maybe that, maybe you can pursue that. So I don't take a complete hands-off approach. A lot of people hire me because I have done a lot of video and I've done performance coaching and I'm a singer. They don't hire, I mean, I have taught vocal lessons, but they hire me because I know how to perform. So in addition to coaching them to do the work, they also hope that I'm going to give them performance or speaking instruction and stuff right. like that. It's kind of a mix. All right. So what you became a coach in the early 2000s. Um, what did you do before that? And how did that, how did that lead you to becoming a coach? So that's a little bit longer answer. Can I, is that okay? Yeah, go for it. We got it. We got as much time in the world. Okay. So I, I um, grew up in a in San Francisco Bay area, two parent home. My uh, upbringing was, uh, a lot, there was a lot of physical discipline that today would be felony child abuse. It came from a really strict religious point of view, and that imbued me with the idea that I was not okay and I never would be. So I lived from early teens to my early 50s, almost 40 years, working through depression, struggling with not being good enough. My whole goal at that time was to prove to my mom, who was the principal abuser, that I was okay. I was waiting to get that stamp of approval. I never talked to anyone. I never sought out a counselor. They were evil. You're just supposed to fix this crap yourself and suck it up. That's changing in these days, but those days not. And so there's a lot of stigma and a lot of private stuff. And I believed that I wasn't good enough. So when I created a lot of success, I also sabotaged it. That meant that I went uh, through relationships. I was married and divorced three times. I, uh, I created huge success commercially and in, in you know, business and positions and so forth. So I made a lot of money, but I also sabotaged some of those things because I didn't deserve that. I can't have that, that sort of story that you have. So for 40 years, I went up and down the roller coaster of depression, not knowing that's what it was, blaming myself for everything and just really believing that I sucked. In 2007, August, there was a dramatic event, two events actually, with two weeks apart, that did two things. One, I completely left the career that I'd been in for 30 years at the height of the career. I mean, I was, you know, big dog, blah, blah, blah. Yeah but I just walked away from it. And I'll tell you what the events were in a minute. The, but the whole movie of my last years was like a movie. If you look at the guy from one side, wow, he's a big dog. Holy cow. And if you look at the other side, it's like, holy crap, <laughs> this stuff going on behind the scenes. So ruined relationships right. in and out of rehab, drug addict, the whole friggin' mess as ugly as it gets. And you know, it could be a movie or two. So that was the truth of my existence. In 2007, in August, I came home from work one day, my big dog stuff, and I was getting ready to go out and party for the weekend. And when I say drug addict, my addiction was $3,000 a week cocaine habit. Okay, that is a lot, but I was making so much money that the money didn't matter. Yeah, I, I had four teenagers living with me. I had 10 kids and four of them were with me. I was a single dad, divorced for the third time. So I came home, getting ready to go out and party, binge for the weekend. And for some reason, I had this insane desire to turn on the television. Uh, I didn't know how. 
I had the biggest TV you could buy because you have all that money, you have all the gear, right? But I never watched TV, so I actually didn't know how to turn it on. So I had to ask one of the kids to turn on the TV. I just never watched it. So one of my daughters turned the TV on and she laughed at me and threw the remote at me. So I sat down to watch TV and the program that came on was a reality TV show that I'd never heard of. The name of it was Intervention, which is a reality <laughs> TV show about people. Yeah, staying yeah. In, yeah okay. Yeah. The protagonist wow. was a high ranking executive with a cocaine problem. Wow. Yeah. So I watched about 10 minutes of that and I said, screw this. I'm not watching this crap. I turned it off and I got ready to go. About a half an hour later, I just had to turn the TV back on. I don't know why, but this time I knew how. I turned the television program back on. That program started over at the beginning. In the middle of the hour, and no, I don't have a DVR, and no, it wasn't on the schedule, and no, that can't happen. It scared the crap out of me, so I sat down and watched it. The program went badly. The protagonist refused all the help, stomped out, and, you know, went badly. But it scared me bad enough that I didn't go out. I went to bed. As soon as I went to bed, I went to sleep, and then I went to hell. Now, what I mean by that is I had an experience that I can describe no differently than that. The whole scenario of my life played before my eyes, all the things that I had done and the things that had been done to me, all this stuff. And it was the most intense, painful suffering that I had ever experienced. And after an unknown period of time, I heard a voice that said, it is enough. It was not an angry voice, not an accusatory voice, but it was enough. I woke up. It was 5 o'clock Saturday afternoon, so 18 hours had passed. And I realized that I had been invited to change. So I got up. I threw away $1,000 worth of drugs that I had and decided that I was going to stop. So I quit cold turkey in one day from $3,000 to zero. I also knew that I needed to get away from the whole industry, the job. I had to change everything about my life. So I started making plans to do that. Two weeks later, the second piece of this event happened. I hadn't quit yet. <clears throat> In the position that I had, I got lots of free things because I made decisions that affected companies billions of dollars. So I used to get free tickets to this and free expensive bottles of wine and free invitations here, there, and everywhere. Uh, one of the things I got was a pair of tickets to see uh, Yo-Yo Ma, who's a classical musician. Mm -hmm. If you know classical music, then yep. you know who he is. Yep. All right. Pianist? He's a cellist. Cellist. Yeah, yeah, spectacular. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, but I was single again for the third time and I didn't want the second ticket to go to waste. So I went to the groups that I managed and I said, who likes classical music? And some lady in one of the groups said, uh, I do. And I looked at her and I said, have I ever given you anything before? No. Okay, fine. Here, see you there. So uh, we went to the concert separately, but the seats were together. Halfway through the show, now this is two weeks, stone cold sober. Halfway through the show, I had this feeling come over me and the voice said to me you need to marry this woman and i said you're crazy i argued with it i said i've sucked at that i've been divorced three times got your wires crossed later that night we were backstage because of course there were backstage passes and all that and the, the feeling came back and said <clears throat> comma and you need to tell her tonight 
So I argued like crazy because mm. doing so I could have been sued for sexual harassment or whatever. She worked in one of my groups, right? But you don't win those arguments. So I did. And it went about like you would have expected. Are you out of your mind? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I bet. Okay. But she didn't <laughs> sue me. She didn't do anything. And within two weeks, she had her own set of experiences. Two weeks later, she quit. I quit. And we've been together for 14 years. So the first piece of that got me sober. The second piece of that was an introduction of an angel into my life, and her name's Joy. You can't make this stuff up, right? No, no, definitely no. This is very, this is very much like, okay, this is one in a million odds. Okay, what is one in a billion odds? Odds? Not, you know what? No, there is a God. This confirms there is a God. They're, they're just, yeah. <laughs> so she was the other piece to help me for yeah. the first time in my life talk to somebody about depression, about what had happened, about how I got there. Everybody in the office knew I was using drugs. I mean, they never saw me, but the rumors were, you know, so that was not news. And I've asked her since a bunch of times, why on earth would you quit, walk away from a very nice career and just launch out on a, on, on like on that? Why? She said, I have no idea, except I knew to the core of my being that it was the right thing to do. Sometimes you just got to roll the dice. I mean, intuition, I, I do believe intuition is a real thing. Like your, your gut feeling and your brain feeling, like they might not always con go hand in hand, but when they do and it feels right, you know, sometimes when you know, you know, when you know, you know. So that's the story. And then after that, I, we just walked away and said, okay, what am I going to do? And, uh, I decided what I said, I know how to help people do this. I'm going to be a coach. And so over the next months and years, I started to figure that out and started getting coaching clients. And she now is my business partner. She runs the back half, runs all of our funnels and online presence and website and manages all of our contractors and which is right up her alley. She was a project manager in the energy industry before. So she's good at all that and certified this, that, and the other. And so it was perfect. And it was designed to do that. And the, the message I would give anyone that's listening to this from that is everything that happens to you is always in the form of an invitation. Like I could have dismissed all that as a bunch of crap. She could have said you're out of your mind. If you make a choice to accept invitations when you feel that it's right, there is something there. Yeah. When life hands you lemons. My panty What's lemons. That? When life hands you lemons, you make lemonade. Yeah, but anyway, that was that's how I became on the get out on the road to becoming a coach in two thousand eight, nine, ten, and also the road to dealing with this depression that I had struggled with for all these years, and that was not a trivial process. I like I said, I'd never talked to anyone, and so finding someone to talk to, having the courage to talk to them. You know, my first foray into therapy, I lied like crazy. I acted like I needed to control the session. I didn't know how to be vulnerable and just show up and say, help me out here. Yeah. I mean, that took me years to figure that out. Too. I mean, the hardest thing can be asking for help. Like it's not necessarily like you can know you need help. The hardest thing is asking for help, right? I've, I've totally been there. It's uh, most, like one of the most labeled things. Like you need help, but the hardest thing to do is just to straight up ask for it. Well, Kel, I'm very glad you did get it. And I'm very glad it did lead you to where you are today. Because um, that's a crazy story. That's a crazy, I've heard some crazy stories from a lot of different people. That's up there. That's up <laughs> there.
but finally, after after uh, three or four years of working on the depression stuff, I finally decided to write the book, Tightrope of Depression, My Journey from Darkness, Despair, and Death to Light, Love, and Life. Uh, after I wrote it in 2014, I waited a year to publish it because I was so terrified because I was honest and I was scared to death about what might happen uh, because I told the stories about what was real. Yeah. And since then I wrote the sequel called down from the gallows and you know, I've written 13 other books or 13 books total in the last little while. So, so how do you take those experiences like your life experiences and then becoming a coach certified? So you learn some things there. Um, and how do you use that to help people? So like, tell me about your courses, your private sessions and like how that, that crazy story you just told me, I'm sure you've told a million times. I'm glad I heard it. And how you use that to really help people through your courses and your private sessions. All of us have an innate desire to help people. Like you're doing this podcast for a reason. Everybody that I talk to, when they really be honest, I say, well, why do you like to do that? What, what drives that? Well, I really like to help. You know, they have, they want to make some money, want to make a business, whatever. But when they get right down to truth, say, well, I really enjoy so there's something about our humanity that drives us to want to help mm -hmm. every person, you, me, all of us, we have a set of unique experiences that develops because of the struggles, what I call a specialized empathy that makes you able to talk to a certain group of people in a way that nobody else could. And when you combine that truth with the fact that we have a desire to help people, when someone is willing to step into that truth and take action on it, then they have the ability to do something, whether it's leading children to learn to read, whether it's, you know, helping a ragtag community group of volunteers put on a drama production, whether my brother, he's a doctor, he's an OBGYN baby doctor for a long time, but his big claim to fame in the little town he was in, a little town in Wyoming, was that he was the director of the community musical theater and he turned them small town into a powerhouse because he had some musical stuff, our whole family was a bit musical and wanted to do that with his desire to add good to the world. And so you, you're doing this podcast for a reason. Why are you doing this? Well, there's a lot of different reasons, right? As you said, business, right? This is a networking tool. This podcast, this particular podcast, the ambiguous podcast solution is a networking tool. You know, best case scenario, we work together. Worst case scenario, you get free promotion and I get content. Right, so it, it, is, it is a give and take, it isn't help. That's, that's surface area, right? Um, dig deeper though. I mm -hmm. podcast for personal growth, always. Like all of my podcasts are very selfish. That sounds weird to say. Um, like I do a few podcasts. My wrestling podcast, straight fun. Me and my friends, having fun. Um, talking with Tara Shuck and the Ambiguous Podcast Solution is that I like talking to people. I like experiencing other people's experiences because it's a skill that's gonna help me, not only in this business, networking events, the real world, it just, it's gonna make me a better communicator. So the reason I do this podcast really is for personal growth. And you know, the networking tool, the business tool, it's, it's all a plus. The main reason is selfishly, I like doing it. It's fun, it's what I wanna do forever and it's for me. But you know, it's also a great networking tool. 
And if we go even deeper than that for your own personal growth and for a networking tool to grow your business, both of which are entirely appropriate, it also empowers you to be a more um, authentic, real, connected individual yeah. in the human family. So you never know who you're going to run into and who you're going to talk to or where that business opportunity is going to come from. I spoke to a hunter yesterday. I've never been hunting. I know next to little about hunting, but we had a great conversation. You know, like the, a previous conversation I've had with life coaches is similar. I can talk to you. You're very easy to talk to. And because I've had experience doing that, you know, I've talked to a college life coach who is extremely fascinating. I've talked to college kids, which is also extremely fascinating. This Friday, I'm talking to someone who has autism and that's another challenge. He's, you know, he's, he has autism. He has a podcast. That's amazing. I can't wait to talk to him, but you know, it's going to be different. It might be a little difficult for me personally, maybe not for him, but for me, but you know, that's a challenge, and you know, challenge accepted. A podcast is supposed to challenge you. A business is supposed to challenge you. A conversation is supposed to challenge you. So, you have. I know you've thought about this. Your excitement and willingness to engage in personal growth is also an opportunity and a blessing to everyone that you invite, everyone that you talk to. So, in your way, you're adding good to the world. You're making a conscious choice to connect with people and to promote and to see what's there. Maybe you get something and maybe you don't, but you always get something. You did some good for you, you did some good for them, and you added good to the world. Yeah, it's, it's a give and take. You know, this podcast is definitely a give and take, as all podcasts should be. You know, mm-hmm. it, that, that balance could be, like, you know, sometimes I'm going to give more than I take and sometimes going to take more than I give, you know, and sometimes it's completely even. We don't get anything from anybody, and that's totally fine. But every podcast definitely is a give and a take. So let's, let's pivot over to your podcast because your podcast is your ultimate life. So when did you start it? I know there's a funny story coming up. So when did you start it and how did you get the name? So my work, I, I have a coaching business, but I don't think of it that way. I have a sign on my wall and it says, I never look for clients. I look for people to love, opportunities to serve and problems to solve. And that's how I approach every interaction. And in that context, I have lots of coaching opportunities because I actually have learned to care about people. Anyway, how it started was at the very beginning of the pandemic, March of uh, 2020. So a year and a half plus ago. You had 500 uh, episodes in a year and a half? Yeah. Good Lord. Somebody called Joy and who knew I spoke and I spoken at a lot of events and done motivational speaking and, you know, marketing events and teaching how to do video and how to show up and how to a lot of stuff. So they called her and said, and it's right at the beginning of the lockdowns said uh, to her, does Kellen have a podcast? Cause they were looking for something motivational to listen to or whatever. And she said, yes. And then she <laughs> came downstairs and said, we have a podcast. Guess what you're doing. <laughs> so I said, okay, if we're going to do a podcast, then I'm going to do it every day. I'm going to do mm. it short, 15 minutes, mm-hmm. because I really want this to do something for people. What are people missing right now? They're going to feel locked down. They're going to mm-hmm. feel like they lost something. Mm-hmm. They're going to be searching for motivation. So the ultimate life, I gave it a definition. And I said, an ultimate life is living a life of purpose, prosperity, and joy that you create by serving with your divine gifts. So that's the definition I gave. 
And when we moved in the middle of it, we missed a few days, but pretty much daily for almost 20 months. And I just recorded episode 522 this morning. Yeah, that's crazy. 522. So 500 episodes. Now that, that is a record. I, I know there are podcasts out there with more, but in person's people I have talked to, 500 is a record for my guests. So congratulations on that, first of all. Uh, what's the secret? What, what keeps you going? Because, you know, my, my highest podcast is 270 or 271 coming out, depending on this, when this week is, what we're doing this week. I don't keep track anymore. But it's around the 270s. That's my highest. And that's easy to keep going because we talk about current events and wrestling. You have 500 episodes. What's the secret? It's going to sound like weird. I actually am committed in the depths of my heart to doing everything I can while I breathe air to help people realize who they really are and what their opportunities are. And if I can do anything that will help people live a life of purpose, prosperity, and joy to discover and manifest their divine gifts, I'm doing it. Yeah. So what keeps you going? I know who we all are. It's, it's my calling. I'm going to be just as weird and woo-woo as it gets. And it's funny because my previous career was in electricity and energy and mathematics and engineering. But the truth is we've all felt those divine connections. We've felt something larger than ourselves. We've felt that at different times in our lives. Mm. And so I simply have chosen that that's what I'm doing until I no longer draw breath. So I don't work. I get up in the morning, I look at my client roster, I look at my connections, I thought about you this morning, I meditate, I have a two and a half hour morning ritual, I prepare myself intentionally and on purpose every single day to be the most loving, powerful, connected, inviting person I can be so that every person I talk to feels invited to be more, to be happier, to be, to lift and bless. And I, that, however that sounds, that's the truth. So I like, I like that you release them every day or almost every day. My last quote, there wasn't every day, but you know, that's fine. That's totally fine. I don't release every week either. Now, if you're talking to a podcast coach, podcast, I put that in quotes, they'll tell you, you know, typically you want to do it once a week, same time, same place, every single week. You know, that's a very old media way of thinking of like, you know, network programming, television specifically, or radio even. Um, but you just from the jump every day. And I love that because it's that's like the true essence of podcasting where there is no standard. I can do whatever I want. So talk about the philosophy behind why you release them every single day from the jump. Because that's, I'm not going to lie, it's not something I would recommend. It's ballsy. I respect it. But let me hear why. I wanted people to be committed, com uh, to be committed to listening, to know I was committed to them. Like I don't, I, I, I have, I, most of them are solo, but I have inter I have guests on there and I like to do it, but we talk about the concept of what it takes to serve, what it takes, why people are drawn to that, yeah. what it takes to find the courage to be your authentic self and to really serve with that and to, to, to find the joy in, in lifting and blessing people's lives. I, you know, we have enough depressing negative stuff in the world. I view my job is every conversation I have with somebody to leave them a little happier, a little more hopeful, a little more connected and powerful than when we started. It's a, you used the word commitment. 
Because I, I, I like the, I, I like the, uh, the parallel, parallel dynamic there because you're making the commitment. You're requesting your audience to also make that commitment. Now, did you find that in the beginning it was easy for your audience or difficult for the audience to make that commitment? Until you've been around for a while, you can be a fly-by-night. So until you have 60, 90, 100, then people start to be more committed. Subscriptions go up. People start listening. I hear people, you know, they send me messages now and that sort of thing. So I think there's so much noise in the world today. Everybody's saying, look at me, look at me, buy my stuff, I'm cool, whatever, that people are reluctant to to commit to something until it feels real to them. So how do you keep finding topics to talk about? I'm in the middle of a 65 part series. Oh, right that now. helps. <laughs> that helps. And the 65 part Ugh. series is about creating personal power. Mm-hmm. And I used kind of a metaphor. I said, imagine a palace and I'm imagining this sort of fantasy science fiction sort of palace. that's floating in the air. Like you see in some science fiction movie, right? Yeah. Purple, green, blue, and there it is floating in the air and it's held up by seven pillars. And I said, that's your palace of power. If you're going to create an ultimate life, you need power, power to do things. Where does that power come from? So I created seven pillars pillars that hold up the palace of power. And each of those pillars has seven stones. And so there's an introduction, seven pieces, and then an outro for each of seven pillars. Nine times seven is 63, an intro to the whole series and out. There's 65 episodes. And I love it. It's easy to talk about. For example, the one I recorded today was about integrity. Integrity mm. is one of the pillars and I, the seven pieces that I have uh, in, in describing what integrity is. H- how do you have integrity? Is it easy? Is it hard? What makes it easy? What makes it hard? What makes it essential? How does it accumulate? How do you develop that? And all of these episodes are about integrity in your own life with yourself, how you talk to yourself, how you talk to others. The way you do one thing is the way you do everything. And then when you add all those stones up, you, if you master them, you have the pillar of integrity. Another pillar was the pillar of choice because we like the story that ah, I didn't have a choice. That's nonsense. You have a choice about everything. So I took that, the principle of choice apart in pieces. And another one is the principle of truth. What is truth? And you know, all of those pieces. And so if you really want to have personal power, there's a way to get it, Yeah, but it requires work. Do you have this going cold? Because I, I know I talked, I'd be talking early about, you know, challenging myself and me doing podcasting, challenging myself. Now, I, all, I, I also do a solo show. That's like my, my fourth stepchild podcast that I don't like to talk about and I don't like to publicly put out there because it's very personal to me. Like the only time I'll promote it is if it comes up naturally, like it's doing literally right now. And mm-hmm. it's a solo show. And sometimes I, ha- I know exactly what I'm going to talk about. I don't necessarily write anything bullet points down. It's all in my head. And sometimes I just go in completely cold, not knowing what I'm going to say, how I'm going to say it, but I just do it. And it's incredibly uncomfortable, but that's why I call it the comfort zone. So do you ever just go in cold? Is, or do you always have, you always know exactly, like almost word for word, what you're going to talk about? 
never anything close to word for word. The most I do is give me a title and three bullet points. Love it. That's that's what I should, probably should be doing. But again, I got challenged. Right? Like for this show, I have I have a page full of questions. Some most of them I'll ask. Some of them I won't. Most of them I'll come off the top of my head. But it's used as a guide. So the bullet points, love it. Fantastic. I just, that's my standard. I named, I named the podcast and right now it happened to be 65 episodes because I built the palace of power and I named them all. And then three bullet points. Um, I did a whole series of podcasts on something I call a personal truth and commitment statement, which is a description of how you think of yourself in the world. You know, how, how do you view yourself? Are you a person of honesty? Are you a person that can be depended on? Do you, do you declare that? What do you do to prepare yourself for that? And I talked about how to prepare yourself to be the best version of yourself every day. And that was several episodes. And sometimes I'll talk about current events or refer to them. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw, I had a coaching call today and we talked about this or, but I was related to whatever it is that I, you know, de- declared the topic was. So three bullets and a t- title. All right. So uh, talk to me about the relationship between your podcast and and your business, so like your, your coaching, your, your your coaching world and your podcast world, because those work very much hand in hand, whether you know it or not. Um, so talk talk to me how one helps the other. I get to meet cool people, mm-hmm. so I've decided about two months ago that I wanted to be uh, a guest on podcast because I believe that was a way that I could reach more people, not from a business perspective. My goal is to help 5 million people discover, develop, and deliver on their divine gifts. So how, that's how close my, are you? I have no idea. Love it's it. going to take a while. <laughs> I have no freaking you'll, idea. You'll know it when you know. I will know <laughs> the vo- when the I know. voice will come back and whisper in your ear, you made it. I totally get it. I have eight books. I have 13 books now. I'm in the middle of eight more. Wow. So I write books. I compose music. I do podcasts. I coach people. I run groups. I help people write books. And so the relationship is I have, I was surprised. I've actually had more than one podcast host who had a desire to write a book, who've asked me about this book writing thing that I do. And two or three times a year, I run a 90 day book challenge to help them write a book. And so it actually created some business and that was an accident. I went out because I wanted to be a voice of encouragement. I wanted to be a guest on people's podcasts who were talking about struggle and depression and overcoming things. And last year I spoke as a speaker on three virtual summits. One of them was about suicide attempt survivors and one was about addiction survivors and one was about depression survivors. And, you know, I, I on purpose go spread that message and be as uplifting as I can. And what I discover from that is that sign of my wall, I never look for clients. I look for people to love, opportunities to serve, and problems to solve. That brings me clients because when I go in with no agenda and I'm really looking to figure out how I can be of benefit to them, people ask, well, how do we do this some more? How how do we make this happen more? And then I say, well, I do this and this. Would would any of that serve you? And, you know, like that. I like that. That's, that's, that's pretty much my philosophy too. Like, I, I like that. Like, I don't look for clients and I, like when I, when I, when I have people on this podcast, I just ask the general question to myself, do I find this interesting? If the answer is yes, they're on. If they become a client, they become a client. Fantastic. If the answer is no, don't even bother. If they could become a client, don't even bother. And even if they don't become a client, I'm still happy. I'm still happy. 
you know, I still get, I still get something out of this. And I can only hope that they do as well. And they don't think their time was wasted. Um, yeah. My time's never wasted. If I, if one person who listens to your podcast feels encouraged and blessed because we talked about opportunity and growth and they feel encouraged, then that was a win for me. It also helps to draw the 20 minutes. I got, I got to start track practicing that. All my podcasts are like an hour, <laughs> at least. I don't think I've ever done a podcast. Well, actually not true. I've done like one or two that's been under an hour, but I'm just so used to it. I love it. I mean, 20 minutes though. How is it hard keeping under 20 minutes? Do you just go like, listen, I wish I could go longer, but cut it, do it tomorrow. When I do, so uh, yeah, when I'm interviewing somebody, that that length is really difficult. I had one coach who lives in Bali who I interviewed and he was on it and his, he talked about his systems and things like that <clears throat> were so interesting that as soon as we got done, I told him I wanted him back twice more and we did a segment on this part and this part and this part and I separated them by three or four episodes. Yeah. But I had a guy on three times because I really enjoyed what he was talking about. And I thought it would be really valuable to people trying to create the ultimate life. Mm -hmm. So what was something you did in the very beginning of your podcast, like a little, a little quirk you picked up that you still use to this day? Uh, something I did that I really enjoyed is I had my wife narrate the intro and outro. And so there's a music intro and then it's her voice and then the podcast and then her voice going out with the music stinger at the end and her excitement and stuff is a really nice thing. It's a change from my voice to the guests. And so we did that and I've kept it as, as part of the intro outro. I really enjoyed that. And the other thing I always do is I end the podcast reminding the person that the purpose of the whole thing is for them to create their ultimate life of purpose, prosperity, and joy by serving with their divine gifts. I want, I never want to lose sight of that. So yeah. that's, it's good to have a catchphrase. Like I, I'm still trying to kind of find one for this. Um, I'll find it. You know, when I, when you know, you know, like for the wrestling one wrestling podcast, I had my I had my intro and my outro. Um, for my other podcast doesn't exist anymore, American Minute, shout out to me and Nash. Uh, I had my intro and outro, you know, we would do our thing. So that's definitely a good one. Like some kind of, some, something that the audience is looking forward to and they're always going to remember and they always know is coming. Something else I do is I always start by talking about the episode, like episode 520, and I say something funny, like I never thought I'd get to 500, or yeah. I'll make some comment about that, and then tell them I'm committed to do it as long as I draw breath, as long as someone's finding value. But I also do a lot of things completely off the cuff, off the fly, half like. I just live my life. I don't know what I'm going to say until it's already four seconds out of my mouth. That's just how I live my life, man. It can be a gift and a curse, let me tell you. The gift of gab can work both ways. Well, I'm grateful that you're that way. I think that we are, as a people, we object to the idea that everything is so scripted and organized. Yeah. And you being willing to just tell the truth, be kind, be open, but be weird is fine. I have a client. I used to tell him, you have permission to be weird. Mm. And that was what I was trying to help him end this sort of constricted, scripted view he, ha he had of how he was supposed to be. And so I, I remember, you have permission to be weird. So that's become a funny phrase between he and I. Permission now, to be weird. That's something I needed to hear years ago permission to be weird because you know my dark days of high school you know this 
the dark days where I hit bottom and then built myself back up. But, you know, my friends would call me goofy or people would call me goofy. And to me, that was just like the biggest insult you could tell me. It's like, I don't want to be goofy. This isn't who I want to be. And it took a long time to realize that stop trying so hard to be what you're not and just glorify being who you are. Nowadays, I embrace the goof. I embrace the weird. My girlfriend calls me weird. I'm like, you're goddamn right I'm weird. Get used to it. Buckle up. We're going for a ride. So it's just, it's just you know, and everyone, everyone, you need to be permission to be yourself. Is sometimes it's like, oh, people really need to hear that, which is like, you. it's a weird thing to say to someone, but it's like, yeah, you need permission to be weird. I really like that. That's great. Well, if you needed it, you have permission to be weird. All right, let's go. Um, <laughs> So has the podcast made you a better coach? Yes. And I'll say that without, without any qualification, because I noticed that things that just like you said, I had four seconds out of my, my mouth and I hear them later and I'll think that was a well-described articulation. And later that day, I might have a client and I'll tell them something I talked about in the podcast or mm -hmm. the other way around. I'll be in a coaching session and some intuition will cause me to go in a certain direction with the client. And then the next day or the day after that, I'll remember that and I'll talk about, you know, I had this coaching session. Here's what we talked about. And I don't know who might need this thought, but, and then I'll talk about it. Yeah. Okay. Um, what else I got here? What skills have you picked up from the podcast that you use in your business? Oh, you know, skills have I picked up from the podcast. A mutually reinforcing business podcast coaching is to not be afraid of silence. And that doesn't mean you leave big gaps in a podcast because then somebody might think you died or something on the mic, but, but not be afraid of mistakes. Like I, I was on a, I was a, sh a guest on somebody else's show and they were describing to me in the interview before or after, I don't know about their editing process about all the spaces and they go and do this and that and the other. And I said, you're wasting your time. Whenever someone tells me they do like for a career, they edit podcasts, like we'll take out the ums and uhs. I'm just like, that's not, you don't know what editing is. That's not editing. People speak with ums, uhs, and likes all the time. It's very natural. That's how people talk. I talk fast. That's an issue. I can fix that. But ums and uhs or stutters or uh, 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 stuff like that, that's just natural people way people talk. That's just completely natural. And podcasts are supposed to be natural. They're supposed to be personal. The P stands for personal. I say that all the time. The P in podcast stands for personal. Um, so I think I just cut her editing time in half. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Do you edit your own stuff? Who does your editing? I do everything. You do everything. Oh man. Oh I've man. I've been a recording studio for 40 years. I'm an audio professional. I've done professional grade music and book narrations and everything. So I do all the sweetening. I have a zillion plugins. I have studio grade everything. Well, hell man, maybe at the end of this, I'll be paying you for stuff. Good God. Um, because well, one thing one thing editing does for me, uh, it makes me a way better listener. And that's just podcasting in general. Because like you know, when you're when you're talking, I'm paying attention. Don't get me wrong. When any guest is talking, I'm pay, I'm paying attention. But I'm not just paying attention to what you're saying. I'm paying attention to okay, where can I bring this next? I'm thinking two steps ahead. 
So it makes me a better listener. And if you can be a better listener in a world where everyone likes to talk and no one likes to listen, it's a very good skill to pick up. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I want to honor you for that development of skill. So everybody mostly listens to answer or to respond. And you choosing to develop the skill to actually listen, to hear what someone is saying or trying to say or what they mean is a valuable thing and will be greatly not only appreciated, but it'll be a big win in your business because people will feel drawn to someone who actually learns to listen. Yeah. Cause like when I listen to if someone's like, it's like, Hey, give me some advice in this podcast. It's like, okay, I know what to listen for. Right. Cause it's just like, you know, I'll, I'll listen to it, but not only when I listen to it, it's another thing I practice where if I'm listening to a podcast to give advice specifically, I listen to the podcast in the exact same setting. I listen to all my favorite podcasts, typically playing video games or typically, you know, in the car, in the shower, cooking dinner, because I can, if I'm paying attention to the podcast, that's the best thing I can tell you. You had my attention. I can do this, this and that. If I listen to it and I don't remember anything, then I have to go back and go, okay, that's an issue. Red flag, red flag. Number one is that like, I just couldn't pay attention to it. So then I have to go back and actually listen to give them actual point. It's like this, tell them, yeah, man, listen to it. Couldn't pay attention. Sorry, I got nothing for you. That doesn't work. That doesn't work at all. <laughs> no, that, that would be a, that would be a struggle. That would be so quite anyway, I really want to honor you for that, for, for developing the skill of listening. That's really important and something that people are often so self-conscious about and so worried that they're going to say something stupid or look silly or worried about what other people are thinking that they don't take the emotional effort to listen. That's really good. It's so hard to listen to yourself. Do you struggle with that? Do you, do you like the sound of your own voice? Are you the one person out there who likes the way they, they like the sound on a microphone? Uh, every person that I've ever worked with in the studio, especially vocalists, the first time or two or 10, they hear themselves singing or narrating, they say, I don't sound like that. But why do I, and they say what you said and what they don't realize is they don't half of our hearing apparatus is the station tubes and the bone conduction stuff in, in your head. So yeah. what you sound like on a recording is what you actually sound like. What you hear in your head's got nothing to do with what you sound like because other people can't hear all that other stuff. So because I've been in the studio business so long, I don't, it's not an issue. But everybody does that, and, and the truth is it's because they we sound different to ourselves because of all that internal stuff yeah. going on. Oh, let's talk about your studio. Um, based in Canada, I'm assuming. I would hope so. Um, I am. It's here in the house it, over there. I've got a, the basement here is so big you need a map, but I've got a studio over there. And everything's soundproofed? It is. Uh, well, the, you're living my dream. That's, my, that's like my life goal is to have a basement studio with like my private studio, like the mixer, the soundboard, like the big whatever – and a drum kit. Those are two things it needs. It needs to be soundproofed. needs to have the whole thing. Because, like, you know, I, I played drums for 10 years. Um, 10, oh, wow. 10, 10 plus years I played trumpet before, before that. But I live in an apartment in a city in New Jersey. Oh, wow. Drum kit, I can fit it here. It would just not end well. I'd be evicted immediately. <laughs> so, like, you know, when, when I rest when I don't have kids, I'm going to get a drum kit in my basement, you know, teach my kids to play, teach them to podcast. But... Not, not my little soliloquy. I love that you have that basement studio because it's making me like relive my own dream in my mind. Um, what equipment do you use? Because I'm, I'm a big equipment nerd. Tell me about 
uh, the microphones? Do you have the big soundboard? You just use your roadcaster um, in software. So in back in the day, I had an eight foot Trident mixing board. They're built in England. Mm. Today it's all in the box. I use Steinberg's Cubase and WaveLab is the software. I have a little mixer that is connected to that so I can switch, you know, move up and down the what would be a giant board in sections. I have uh, a manly reference standard mic, which is many thousands of dollars in vocal. And then I have one built by Slate, Stephen Slate, which is designed to be completely flat with zero colorations. And then it comes with a whole bunch of vintage mic emulations. Back when I had a studio before, I had Neumann and a bunch of vintage expensive mics. Today, if you get a reference mic and a bunch of software curves, you can emulate all the stuff that you need. I also have a few pieces of external gear of universal audio 1176, which is an old 610 preamp and a 1176 compressor, which back in the day was one of the standard uh, 1176. If you say that to any old studio buff, I'll know what an 1176 is. Uh, I have, you know, a few outboard compressors and things like that. DBX makes some really good outboard stuff that I have some of. And I have... <clears throat> Uh, most of the rest of it is in the computer. I probably have a thousand different plugins made by everybody that makes any plugins for, it's funny. Here's the development. In the old days, I had a two inch tape recorder, you know, great big Otari two inch 24 track and all yep. that stuff. Today, then they went to digital and then they had one inch 48 tracks. Sony made a digital recorder and digital that was going to solve everything. Then everybody said, well, digital sounds brittle and the sampling rates and blah, 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 blah. And now most companies make all their money making plugins that emulate the sound of old vintage <laughs> yep. audio gear. And so I have a thousand of those plugins and I own a few pieces of the outboard audio gear, but it's, it's hysterical. So yeah, we, we've now decided that the old analog stuff was the real stuff, right? Well, I, everyone knows that uh, vinyl sounds better. Like that's just, everyone knows that, but you know, most, well, it's coming back. A lot of people don't have vinyl. I'm going to get my dad's record collection one day and take his tape and take his vinyl record. I'm going to do, I'm going to put that in the basement too. All right. <laughs> Sorry, dad. I'm gonna, that's my uh, plan. One day I was going to steal a turntable over there. Yeah, still. Turntable. That was, that was one of the cool things. Cause I went to college at a uh, Hofstra university on Long Island, amazing communication school. And the main selling point for me was the radio station. And I learned how to use the turntables, like the, uh, the big ones and the, the oh, 45s. Wow. And I think the sixties is it called. Okay. I don't know that. Um, Music, whatever. Um, so yeah. I, it, was, it was like the smaller records and the bigger records. You know, you got to like, you know, scratch on the vinyl. And the, I don't even know how the sound comes out, but it's incredible. Um, I don't even know why I brought all that up. But uh, equipment, modern day equipment that blows my mind that uh, I learned this year due to my, due my regular 95 drop is virtual inputs and NDI technology. I'm just like, what do you mean you can have a virtual audio or video input? What does that mean? Do you have any experience with that? Or is that my blowing your mind right here no, too? No, I have, I have the NDI software and you can, what all it is is it's network communication. So yeah. you can buy a piece of gear and I have one that you can hook onto your um, Wi-Fi network. 
So it is Wi-Fi connected. Yep. So you don't have a physical connection, but you have NDI is a company that makes it the, the biggest one, but you can have several virtual inputs and it's only limited by the strength and bandwidth of your Wi-Fi. It's the coolest thing ever. It is the coolest thing ever because we over at APS use a program called vMix, which um, if, if, I, if I was doing this recently, like this call right now is on Zoom. I can take the Zoom call, our video feeds right here and virtually input them into vMix and record and live switch. Now, granted, that takes two machines. I need to upgrade my computer because Zoom had an upgrade update. So it doesn't, it's just not powerful enough anymore. I need to upgrade my CPU. It probably my graphics card. <laughs> so, you know, 2022, that's, what's, that's, that's what the plan is. So I do like, I do like talking um, hardware, software. Just, I like knowing what people use. Like I use Audition forever. Um, PC or Mac? Do you use like? I'm a I'm a PC user. PC? Way back All right, let's PC. go. Yeah, when Mac first came out, I had the old original Macintosh and and Apple even before that, Tui and everything else. But I just um, went to PC when Mac was getting more and more expensive. You can build your own PCs, and it's just easier to do that. And Mac may or may not be easier or more powerful. The other thing I struggle with is every time Mac updates software, every piece of high-end audio software, every piece of studio software publishes a warning. Don't upgrade to the new operating system till we test it. Yeah. So Apple upgrades yep. to 10.13, 14, 15, whatever the frick, and it, they don't care about compatibility. That only happens with Windows when they do a full-blown upgrade, like 11's coming out here pretty soon. 11, 11's but, already out in the States, and I've heard it's awful so far. Yeah, well, all very of buggy. It's very buggy. All the manufacturers of high-end audio studio software have all put out the warnings, don't upgrade to 11 until we screw with it. And But that only happens on the major upgrades. With Mac, it happens every time they pick their nose, which mm -hmm. is really irritating. <laughs> yeah, literally. Well, I mean, they like they like the um, – with podcasting, my philosophy is everything needs to be everywhere always, meaning, you know, everything you create needs to be as many places as, many places as, as often as possible. Mac is just like, no, you use us and us only. Get used to it. That's why I'm on PC. <laughs> That's why I'm on PC too. It's just more, it's more flexibility. I like having choices, Kellen. I like choices. Like I, when I'm a client, I go, listen, choices. What do you want to do? I make it happen. Like if, like if someone's like, how should I make my podcast? How do you want to make your podcast? There is no such thing as a standard. It doesn't exist in podcasting. How do you want to do it? That's the right way to do it. You want to go for five hours talking about Fruit Loops and butterflies? Talk for five hours about Fruit Loops and butterflies. Good luck. You want to talk for thirty seconds about the booger you just picked out of your nose? Talk for thirty seconds about the booger you just picked out of your nose. Just don't eat it. Like that's the only rules. Those are the only rules. And don't put your you don't put your dinner time on YouTube. Okay. Yeah, exactly. 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 Well, speaking of YouTube, you do have a YouTube channel. How does a YouTube channel, great segue, Kelly, that was fantastic. How does a YouTube channel improve your podcast? It just gives me, I'll give you an exempt example. I've got this 65 episode thing going on on the podcast and I've decided that I'm going to do them all again also on YouTube, but with five to seven minute videos since the tolerance for longer videos is not as much on YouTube, but I'm going to talk about the ultimate life and the palace of power and the whole thing we talked about before as a, excuse me, YouTube videos, 
because I too want to reach as many people as possible with the encouragement that I'm trying to do. So I have two YouTube channels. One is a hodgepodge of nothing. It's just sort of a collection of things. The other one is called Ultimate Life Formula, which is a very intentional group of podcasts uh, teaching people how to change the stories they've been allowing to dominate their life. Like we live in what I call a context. Yeah. Just simply a definition of how we think things work and it's all changeable. So that's what that's about. All right. Kellen, we just we just pretty much crossed the hour mark. Man, this was a lot of fun. But before we go, I always let the guest have the last question or last set of questions. If you have anything you want to ask me, and if you got nothing coming to mind, you could always plead the fifth and we can just go right to, we can go right home. I'll plead the ninth. I have one thing that I want to leave all your guests with, and that is this. Look. <clears throat> Every single one of you, especially the host here, is making a choice to do things to lift and bless and help people. The fact that he's doing it for business, that's fine. Everybody needs to eat. I have a business too. I want to make sure that you understand that no matter where you've been, no matter what happens, has happened to you before, you can have anything you want. If you start today, you figure out where you want to go and you start taking steps. There's nothing that's outside your reach. The question that most people struggle with is the determination to keep going. And so my goal with this appearance and every other one is to encourage you in every way possible to not give up, to believe in yourself, take care of yourself and to add good to the world. All right. It's a great message. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Kellen from your Ultimate Life podcast. Kellen, please tell everyone where they can find you, your website, your socials, your podcast, anything you want to plug. This is very important when it comes to podcasting. Anything you want to plug or promote, the floor is yours. I'm really easy to find. I had no trouble getting my website, www.kellenflukiger.com. You can look me up on Google. You can look me up on Amazon. You can look me up on Facebook. There are only two Kellen Flukigers in the world, and the other one is my son. So if you want to connect, if you want to find out programs, I have a program on how to create time. I have a program on how to uh, learn to read 10 times faster than you read. I have a program for coaches about how to fill your practice. I have 13 different programs about all kinds of stuff. I have books all over the place, but the most important thing is that you take some kind of action. The podcast, your ultimate life is on all the platforms and it's free, but go do something to build your own life and don't live in excuses. And anyway, if you want to connect in some way, I'm available and easy to find. And building life takes one brick at a time. And while you're building those bricks, make sure you find out all of my stuff in Ambiguous Podcast Solutions stuff over at ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com. You can find everything I have done on this podcast, the Ambiguous Podcast Solution over there on our website. All my other podcasts for Talking with Tara Shuck, where I speak to people I genuinely find interesting. The one caveat, they do not have a podcast because if they do have a podcast, they come on this show. This is the ambiguous podcast solution. If you want to be a guest on either of those podcasts, you can reach out to me directly at will at APSpodcast.com. That's will at APSpodcast.com. Com. Or if you like the other hosts of this show, of course, Jared Laverne or anyone else from the Egg Biggest Podcast team, you can reach out to them directly as well as just their first name at APS Podcast 
Com. All of our other podcast partners can be found there as well. Make sure you support them. If you like our show or any other show, you can go to our page on our website and click that donation tab. All money goes directly to our partners. I don't see a dime of that unless you donate to a show directly that has my face on it. And if you don't, enjoy the free content because it's free. That's the internet. We'll be back next time. Brand new, brand new podcast, brand new host. Maybe, 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 who knows? Brand new guest, that's for sure. We'll see you then. But until then, take care. Enjoy the world. Do it one brick at a time. All right. Thank you for listening to the Ambiguous Podcast Solution. If you want your podcast featured on the show, reach out to us at info at APSpodcast.com. You can find more content from all of our APS partners over at ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com. If you liked this episode, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening on. Want to find out more about our guests? Check out the description or anywhere across our social media channels for all of their links and information. Check out our YouTube channel for this and all featured podcast clips and more. This podcast was hosted, produced, and distributed by Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. We'll see you next time.